fast, Winter decided to show up just in time to test us even further. Got a funny story. Like uh, Wednesday, it was my second 16 in a row. Came home. I was very tired. Uh, I was dehydrated, and I decided to weigh myself, and I was down seven pounds. And I felt like it was a sign from the Lord. Because seven is the biblical number for perfection or completion. I thought he was telling me that my fast was completed and I was going to be able to pray for you guys on the sidelines. But then I weighed myself last night and I'm only down five pounds. And, uh, and you know what? And the Lord's telling me there's no, there's no biblical basis for that one, so get back to fasting. So, uh, no, I'm, I <laughs> that was a bad attempt at a joke. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful to find, uh, to dive into powerlessness. I don't know about you, but I hate it. I hate the idea of powerlessness. And today we're going to talk about powerlessness. We're going to talk about vulnerability. That's the difference between uh, uh, salvation and religion. See, religion offers me the power of God wrongly. And salvation offers me the power of God when I am at my weakest and my most neediest. There's a big difference there. So let's uh, open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go back over this. Jesus tested in the wilderness. We're going to say a great prayer. I look forward to that. I want to say this. I'm grateful. That's my son. Last week was my daughter. Uh, I'm grateful for my son uh, a lot. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Because when he was younger, I grew up in a house where you had to be tough on boys. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Kind of had to kind of. Never give them any kind of props. Never always tell them where they could get better. Be tough on them. And I did it out of pride and foolishness. And uh, he, he didn't like it. He didn't like me for a while. And I didn't understand why. And God overcame my foolishness. And he still did a great work because he is now a father and he uh, is a husband, and he's doing it not out of pride, but just from what I could see God's doing inside of him, and I'm so grateful for him. And I'm, more than that, grateful to God. I don't know any of you are struggling with a person in your life, a child, a son, a husband. Don't you give up. Don't try to change them. Allow God to change you. Get closer to him. Get closer to him. Let him do in you what he wants, and trust me, He's far better at getting done what he wants to do in someone else's life than you or I could ever do. So I just want to say that. All right, Father God, I just want to say thanks for everything. Thanks, that's a terrible word. Thank you, because it all comes from you. As I was worshiping, Lord God, all I could think to myself was I get to worship you, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness that you have provided me. I have no rights before you. You don't need me, but you want me. And because you want us, Lord God, that allows us to surrender the control of our lives. Lord, we ask that you would have your way and transform us into the image of Christ that you want. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so John, uh, Jesus tested in the wilderness. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Okay, let's stop there for just one second. The word there that we're given in my uh, translation is led. Jesus was led. Some of you may have had guided. 
And I, uh, for the longest time, I didn't quite understand why they use those words because that's not the word that's given to us. The word that's given to us is better understood as driven. That's, it's driven. Jesus was driven into the wilderness. And I think that there's something that I can gain from that right off the bat. Uh, Jesus is someone of passionate resolve. You know, one of the great gifts to knowing salvation, let's just say that one of the great aspects of salvation is not just knowing what God's able to do or what he can do or what he's capable of doing, but it's knowing him. That's the difference. For me, I just don't know if it's the same for you, but religion's never going never gonna to transform me. Getting a list of do's and don'ts is never going to incite me to do anything. As a matter of fact, I'm the type of person, maybe you are too, when I get the list of don'ts, that immediately incites something inside of me to go, you mean this? And, and can I tell you something? This is not what he does. He shows who he is. And when he, I see him, because he has transformed, changed, he lives inside of me, something flowers inside of me, and I feel a love and a gravitational pull that is unlike anything else. And I think everybody knows who has the Holy Spirit knows what I'm talking about. Amen? So let's go back to that scripture. So he said this. The tempter comes to him. If you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, well, I tell you the truth. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city to stand upon the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, once again, if, if, if. If he, you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you. I tell you, the scriptures say, they will lift, up their, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, but it's also written that you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. He said this, he says, all of this I will give you, he said. If you bow down and you worship me. Man, we're going to talk about that because that's really powerful. I, we, you know, the devil, we, we, know a, we don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know enough about him. And he's, he's something. He's something. And he said, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for you do you not know that it is written that you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only at that. The devil left him and the angels came to him and attended to him. So I want you to remember, the first thing I want you to remember, that Jesus is driven into the wilderness. This automatically, when I'm reading scripture, when I see God reveal himself or act in a particular way, the first thing I do, and I encourage you to do the same thing, is say, why? Why, God? You know, we think to ourselves, well, you know, you can't question God. You can't question God in the wrong way, but you can question God in the right way. And one of the right ways to question God is for information. You're like, man, I don't get it. Could you please help me to understand who you are? Paul, after giving the entire gospel, now I want you to get it. Paul was a guy who thought he knew God. Then he meets God on the road and he goes, who are you, Lord? What does that mean? You know what that means? In an instant of seeing Jesus, he sees the light shine back on him, sees himself in the mirror of who Christ is, and he goes, wait a minute. I thought I knew who you were, but it's pretty clear. I don't know who you were. 
He was blind spiritually, and the only one who didn't know it was him until he met Christ. And then all of a sudden, his eyes open up, yet his physical eyes closed. Wow, this is crazy stuff. God's really been revealing some stuff in Scripture that's just blowing my mind lately. So I asked myself, what was he driven for? First of all, it is a revelation of who he is. God is a person of passionate drive. Can I tell you something? That encourages me because I am a person of passionate drive. Passionate drive. My resolve only goes so far. Like this brother right here, he's big in the martial arts. Another guy's big in the martial arts. They, they produce, they promote uh, self-discipline. You've got to push yourself beyond. Why? Like Mike Tyson said, the prophet Mike Tyson, he said, uh, he goes, discipline will get you farther than passion will. Man, I'm passionate, and I'm like, I'll run in, wah, go crazy in, right? But I know this, everything's passionate until you get punched in the face a couple times. Am I right? Then everything kind of, well, you know, let me rethink this a couple minutes, you know. But drive but drive self-determination, no, no, self, self-discipline, not self-determination, self-discipline gets you further along. But for me, the big thing is knowing who God is. I feel a kindredness inside of him. When I feel these passionate drives inside of me, that's a good thing. You know what the difference between his passionate drives are and mine are? Mine are oftentimes governed by my flesh. His is governed by his holiness. That means he has passionate drives with an absolute undeniable perseverance. He will not quit. He will not waver. He doesn't want things for the wrong things. He wants it absolutely. And you know what? When God resolves to do something, he will do it. You know, there's scripture after scripture after scripture that tells us that no one can thwart the plans that God has for you. No one, even human opposition, my opposition to God's own plan only serves to benefit his witness to himself. He lifts himself by going, yeah, look at this guy. He's been fighting me the whole time. Look what I did. Yeah, that guy, he was thinking to do it. Read the second Psalm. The nations, they conspire in vain. They get together and they're like, yeah, let's throw off our boundaries. Let's just throw the chains off. Let's be our own gods. And he says he sits in heaven above the throne of the circle of the earth and he laughs. He laughs at it. And he's like, man, you foolish children. You foolish children. How do you think you're going to stop me? You can't stop me. You're only here because I give you breath. And once again, Satan the fool, uh, I want to be careful. You don't want to say things about Satan because he is a powerful person and I'm told not to talk about him. So uh, he plays right into God's hands. He thinks he's autonomous. Just like you and I think we're autonomous. And we kind of are compared to each other. You know, when we're looking earthly. But in the big picture, there is someone who is way over Satan and way over us. And his ways are beyond understanding and his paths are beyond tracing out. And this gives me an encouragement. It gives me encouragement. He is naturally zealous. When Jesus was driven into the wilderness, it was his natural zeal. Second question. That's the first question. Why? What was his zeal aimed at? Here's what I came up with. We have to understand what the point of salvation is. What did Jesus do, everything he did? Because when it says that he was driven, it wasn't by accident and it wasn't forced. 
So nobody forced him to do anything. When we think driven, that means we think someone's behind with a whip. Jesus calls the shots. Make no mistake about it. The demons, when they heard his voice in Gennesaret, what did they do? They ran to his presence and prostrated themselves before him. And they said, don't throw us into the chasm. It's not time yet. Isn't that funny? Even the demons, they submit. You and me, we like to, like a little child, you're not my boss. And we don't say it really, but we do say it with sometimes with our silence. <laughs> okay, so he was naturally, naturally zealous. What was he zealous for? To right the wrongs to save his people. You know where you really see that? In the raising of Lazarus. Remember, he comes, I'm not going to go through it because he comes at the particular time when he wants to come. Everyone is expecting him earlier. They're angry, they're upset, the crowd's confused. And then he sees the mourners, remember? And he gets angry. The word that's used is not just angry, it's fighting angry. To where he's like, that is it. And he's just weak and he goes in and that's when he goes, what was he angry about? Was he angry at the people? No, he wasn't angry at the people. He felt bad for the people. He's like, you poor children. You have no one to lead you, no one to guide you. You've been listening to yourself for so long. He was angry at death. And he's like, that's it. You and me, the showdown's now. I'm here to kill you, and ain't nothing you can do to stop what I'm gonna do. Man, can I tell you something that encourages me to no end to think that this God would say that about me. Isn't that great for you to think of? That that God says, nothing you can do, Satan, nothing you can do, world, no one can, I'm going to accomplish what I set out to do, and I'm going to do it. That's something that's great. So Jesus was driven. He was driven by his desire to right wrongs. He was, desire, he was driven by his desire to save his people. He was driven by his desire to conquer death. He was driven by his, his desire to fix and to restore the things that were broken. And one of the things that I got to tell you is the longer that I walk with him, the more I see that things are just not the way they should be. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Why is it like this? I have to remember that Jesus came and he did everything he did so that he can bring to the ends what he's desired from the beginning. That's the mystery of Christ. He starts here. He starts to unveil himself. He starts to reveal himself. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. Then he comes upon the earth and he does this. He reveals himself. All, and now he's fixing. He's taking back everything inch by inch, step by step, until everything is fixed. What does it say that he's going to make the entire universe back under his control no more mix-up there's going to be no more twisting and i think that that encourages me what was the last thing that jesus was zealous for the proper praise and recognition you know one of the things that really encourages me and i think uh every time i go through the blue book or i try to uh, mentor someone uh, into baptism i always say we have to start in the right place god is god and he deserves if I can't say that first and agree with that, 
what are we doing here? You know, there's no point. Now, the second point is, is right on the heels of the first point. The first point is God deserves, God is owed, it's his right, it's his privilege, but the second one is real close. I was supposed to give and I didn't. See, there's a lot of people who want in on the blessing of knowing who God is, the blessing of being connected to Jesus, but they've never, ever really grasped what repentance is. And you know what repentance is at its heart? It's that I've been trying to be God my whole life, and I have cheated you over and over and over. And you know what the saddest thing is? I have failed myself time and time again, but I find myself addicted to it. I need. See, that's how you could come to church and live a life of complete disobedience. You know, you ever meet somebody like that? You're like, I've been coming to church for a long time. <laughs> kind of life's a whole lot of whack. And I pref- believe their profession. I get it. I'm like, okay, God's working. I don't know where it's at. I'm going to give you counsel. I, I limit how far you're able to serve. But it's possible that there was a fundamental missing peace given in their understanding of the gospel. When you understand that God deserves and we fail to give him what, he owe, what we owe him, you know what happens inside of me? Passivity is no more optional. Oh, Tom, you're too over the top. Yes, I grant you, I'm over the top. But when you meet Jesus Christ, if you're not over the top, I got a question, did you really meet Jesus Christ? Or did you have sunglasses on? Because the God I saw that came to me on my road to Damascus burned my eyes. I can't get over it, nor do I want to get over it. That's a fact. So this Jesus was driven, driven by his desires. So what was he driven to do? He was driven to expose himself to the extremes of spiritual, psychological, physical, and emotional vulnerability. That's it right there in a nutshell. Jesus says, I am going to be vulnerable to you. And I'm going to be vulnerable to everything my father wants to do in me. Boy, that's something. Can I tell you something? He's passed that on to you and me too. It's not just his. He goes, you used to be servants. Now you're not servants anymore. You're friends. Everything I got, I give to you. Here's my mission, and I'm giving it to you. Well, what's that? got to be vulnerable to God. What does that mean? That means you don't get to control it anymore. When you pray, I want you to focus more on letting him change your heart than you changing his mind. And guess what? If you're unwilling to love the people next to you, don't think that you can love God. That's what he means when he says love God and love your neighbor. He's saying you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor. I love the God part, but sometimes my neighbor's a pain in the neck. Well, he said, tell me about it, brother. Okay, Jesus was driven into the wilderness. He allowed himself to be tested to the extremes. I don't want to go too long on this, but I can remember there was a commercial years ago, and I'm, I'm older now. It was jeans, Levi's jeans. Jeans, Levi's, tested since 1725. And they would, like, bury it in ice, and then they'd pull them back out, and the guy would get out of him, and he'd go, woo And then they'd put him on hot rocks in the middle of the desert, and he'd be, woo And they would last, and they would survive. Jesus allowed himself to be tested, tested, pulled, stretched, scuffed, dragged behind a horse. 
He allowed himself to do this. Why? So that he could fight the battles we can't win. Let's look at that for just a minute. What did Jesus do when he went into the desert? Why did he allow himself to go through the extent of this pressure? It's simple. I thought about it for weeks, and I came up with John 3.16. We all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him, that is to cling, to rely, and to put your faith and trust and hope in, will not perish but have eternal life. But sometimes we rush to get to the end of that without thinking of the implications of what that means. So God loved me as I understand it and you in Ephesians chapter 1 before there was anything other than him, Father, Son, and Spirit in the universe. Even there was no universe, it was just them. We have a plan. We're going to create these people for salvation. Let's now create all this as an arena or a theater for us to reach them. Man, let me tell you something. This was not by accident. When Jesus got to this point, he was like, this is what I came to do. This is why I created the wilderness. This is why I allowed Satan to do what he did. This is why I allowed mankind to listen to his lying voice in the garden. This was why I allowed mankind to get so far away and death to rule. Because I made it all for you and me to be as one. Wow. Man, that's... And that's powerful stuff everything jesus did every hardship that he endured every insult that he uh, suffered every hunger pain every scar upon his body every wound to his hands his feet to his head was to prove us to us his beloved our greatest treasure is in him i'm still learning that fasting teaches me that Because sometimes I like food for its comfort because I feel it does a better job at comforting me in times of stress than my beloved does. And man, you can attach that hunger to anything you want. We're going to talk about that in a second. When he becomes my treasure, I love him for not what he gives me or how he can bless me, but I, I praise his name for who he is. That's one of the beauty parts of our worship. We come in the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because he is worthy to praise. And it's not just 15 minutes before service. Man, even in these stringent weather, look around. Give him praise. Look at the beauty of everything. It's all pointing back to him. I wish I could tell you there's so many witnesses God has given to me to his own beauty. Uh, Jesus was tempted beyond, beyond his, uh, okay, let's look, let's look at the first thing. So what did Jesus, what was Jesus done? So he was taken out and he was shown a rock, right? And then Satan said, well, if you are the son of God, tell that rock to become a loaf of bread and eat it. I know you're hungry. You know you're hungry. So let's get right down to it. What was happening there? Okay. Jesus was tempted to be his own superintendent. 
I work for the city. That means superintendents are over me. They're the big bosses. They get to make the parameters. They get to say, this is the rules on Tuesday. This is the rules on Thursday. This is the rules on Friday. And you can't step outside of them. I don't like that. I don't like authority. I've never trusted authority. It's one of my defects and flaws of character that I'm working on, right? Or God's working on inside of me. Well, Satan was saying to Jesus this. He said this. If... You are the son of God. Well, you could look at that word if, and you could say, well, was he questioning Jesus? He's saying, well, you know, well, if, if you're this, uh, I don't think he's doing that. I think that's a presupposition. You know what that means? That Satan goes, I know who you are, Jesus. You know who you are. Why on earth would you allow yourself to go without food for 40 days? You could tell this talk to become a loaf of bread. Don't you deserve it? That's what I think Satan's doing. I think Satan is tempting Jesus with who he is. What does that mean for you and me? I don't want to go through all of it, but the immediate thing that I think of is that I'm made in God's image. That means I have been given incredible power and privilege. Incredible power and privilege. And sometimes, just sometimes, I'm tempted to think, Quite like Satan, aren't you? Let's look at it for just a second. We all have a struggle. And what is this struggle? It's really simple. He wants us to think, why are you putting up with less? Why should you say no to yourself? Come on. This can't be a place of honesty. Who here struggles with that truth? Even though it's a big lie, huge lie, dangerous lie. He's like, man, if that's the truth. I want you to understand that when Jesus went into the desert, he didn't just come to die for us. He came to live for us. His struggles became our struggles. And when he conquered them, he conquered them so that we can walk in his power. I thought to myself this, uh, when I was writing down these notes, I thought to myself, how many terrible sins, how many destructive actions were incited and ignited by that one thought? I deserve. Why shouldn't I? Jesus was doing battle with basic human hungers. And when he was offering him bread, he wasn't just talking about his tummy. He was talking about every single hunger you and I have. And there's a lot of them. And they're all given by God. All of them. They're all given by God. There's the desire to be loved. There's the desire to belong. There's the desire uh, to achieve. There's the desire to earn. There's the desire. I could go on and on and on and on and on. They're all given by God. And that, uh, that means that they're basically good, but they can become twisted. When sin entered the world, even the most basic of instincts and urges have the, the ability to become disproportionate. There was a saint, his name was St. Augustine, and I believe that his uh, understanding and teaching of the Bible is really, really good. Man, he was, man, he was on it, he understood, and he understood who God was very well for a human being, and he understood who we were in the light of who God was. And, and you know what, that's one of the things that he said. He based his whole theology on salvation is God lessening my desire on necessity and unproportionate or disproportionate affections. 
for me, like I told you, comfort was a huge thing. Pleasure was a huge thing. They were God, small G-O-Ds. You know why they're small G-O-Ds? Because I thought because I was a G-O-D, I could purchase them or hire them to give me what I want to get what I needed so that I could get through. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? See, Jesus was fighting hungers, human, basic human hungers. Why? To break the power of disproportionate affections. You know what? Something is good and it's become a disproportionate affection when a good thing becomes an I must have thing. Good to have children, but when I must have children, dangerous. I it's good to be married, but when it becomes I have to be married, that's dangerous. Uh, jobs are a good thing, but when they're an I need to have, I must have. That's when it becomes I could go on and on and on. Uh, this is when I want becomes I deserve or I cannot live without. I rarely tell myself I can't live without that. That's a, a bridge too far for me, but. I love to pull that I deserve card out. I've earned it. How much do I have to give before I can expect the payoff that I gave for in the first place? Am I the only one here? In a world that is affected by sin, even God's gift can become a curse. Let me give you an example. I've told you this before. When I was nine years in the city and I was at North and Throop. I wasn't even, didn't even have my own spot in sanitation and I was in our house for three years. Gift of God, gift of God. He got us free from our debt, put us in this house and then Mayor Dave fighting with our union trying to get us to we wouldn't do it and then we're talking about strike, we're going to strike, strike, strike and he goes, well, if you got to strike, I guess then I got to start laying 1,500 people off and you know what, he, he was he was a tyrant immediately threw me out. I'm like, oh my gosh. He was maybe four. His sister was two. And I'm like, okay, what do I got to do? I got to do this. I got to do that. And you know what? God showed me a lot of things in a short amount of time during that. Here's what I learned. My house is only a blessing until it becomes a curse to keep it. If I have to wear myself thin, breaking down my body to keep something, no longer a blessing, now it's become a curse. It's a God, and that God's a false God, and false gods will make you pay more than what you intended to and give you way less, right? Here's another one. It is only a blessing if it keeps me up at night worrying about how to pay my bills. My kids, blessing. But if they keep me up at night, millions of things, put your desires in there. If it keeps me up at night, worried about how I'm going to get it or what I'm going to do to keep it, no longer a blessing. Now it becomes a taskmaster and a slavery and a curse. Here's another one. My house and my stuff are only valuable blessings from God until I lose my family working so much that I'm never home. Man, what a wonderful gift to give to your divorced wife. You've earned so much. Steve Jobs, 
rich, successful, by all accounts, maybe one of the most revered uh, inventors of our time. His two original children from his original marriage wouldn't even go to his funeral. When they were given their money, they said, give it to a worthwhile charity. We want nothing from him. Wow, what a blessed guy. Not a blessed guy. He was enslaved, and he didn't know it. Jesus wants me and you to be free. Food, relationships, marital treasures are all good things when God is their unseen regulator. One of the things I know about food, and I know about uh, stuff, and I use this a lot. See, I said this before. I don't use drugs no more. I don't drink no more. I don't do a lot of things that are, uh, you know, the world thinks are no big deal. I'm like, ah, I can't do that. But food, that's still on the list. Do I got troubles? Man, I'm going to eat a good lunch. Why, Tom? Why do you need that big Rickle Benny sandwich that you know you shouldn't eat? I deserve it. I've earned it. I've done it. I've done it. But you know what? When I fast, I'm following suit, following my master, and I'm trusting that he has purchased my freedom. When I am my own superintendent, these things that could be good, could be a blessing, become slave drivers. When God, who loves me, sets the parameters and the standards for my life, even my marriage. Oh, marriage. Surely that's the answer for my problem. Until you get married. And you realize so quickly, that wasn't what I thought it was. My boy loved him. Man, surely he's going to fill the void. Yeah, for about two years until he started running around. I'm like, oh my God, this guy, he's wearing me into the ground. Is he a blessing? Yeah. When God finally snatched him from my hands. Whoo, crazy. I'm talking some, spitting some truth out here. All right. One of the things that I have learned, and what is this application for you and me? Here's one. I realize that in myself, I do not have a problem with God being God. If you ask me, are you cool with God being God? Yes. Absolutely. Here's another thing. I get no struggle at all. I'm even cool with God doing what he wants to do, even if it costs me. I'm cool with it. If judgment or if discipline has to come to my house and take everything that he gave me, there's a reason and there's a purpose, and I can never look up to him and go, why did you? I can't. But here is my struggle. <laughs> because I like to tell the truth. You know why? It's a safeguard. I'm not always cool with the method that God uses in producing his ends. Boy, God, I really don't like that direction. You know, God, I don't like this time. Can't we be done with this? You know, I'll tell you one, a quick one. Here, I, I feel like this has now been going on for many, two, three years. I, every time I got in my car, this was when I worked on nights, I would be pulling into traffic. I kid you not, 3.30 on a deserted road, some old, oh, I love that word, I forget what it is, uh, some slow person is driving their car. And they're so close to me that I have to wait for them to pass me. And I'm like, where did this person come from? And I go, what are you telling me? Here's what he's told me. I'm telling you, life isn't about 
I don't want it to rain. God, I want this to happen. God, I want that to happen. God, I think this should be. God, I think that should be. God, I, I mean, listen, listen, listen. Leave the planning to me. You ain't getting great at it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but. And you know what? At one point, I literally said it to him. I go, I think I've learned this lesson before. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. One of the things is I've learned about God is you cannot trick him. You could trick you, you could trick me, but you can't trick him. He knows, and he knows it fully. And he'll keep going at it. You know what? God is so enduring. He will go at it. He'll keep going at it. Well, I learned this two years ago. Nah, you ain't learned it. You didn't even scratch the surface yet, kid. What is Jesus Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. If anyone desires after me, you know what that means? On a practical level, sometimes I must choose him and say no to something else. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. That means I want you to follow my lead. I want you to bear your burdens. For me, that means maybe that I have to choose God in surrender trusting god in difficulty trusting god in uncertainty trusting god to be my comfort see i want to pick i want to pick just like when my wife's driving if i could put one hand on that driving wheel that steering wheel i'd be cool with it god's like get your hand off my wheel i hate that bumper sticker that says jesus is my co-pilot because if that's true you're in the wrong seat He's the boss. He's the master. When you're in troubled seas, and I assure you, this place is troubled seas. You want a master at the helm. Don't second guess him. You know what prayer is for me? It's saying, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. This is what I think. This is what I want. But at the end, you know, you got to be who you are. and You got to do what you're supposed to do. So could you please convince me? somehow make me get me to the point to where i could finally surrender so i could be what vulnerable vulnerable see religion offers me this if you do these things then god owes you that and then when god doesn't do that you go hey you cheated me he's like i never promised that to you and who you did that for wasn't for me you did it for you Man, see, God's fighting with a real complicated human uh, tendencies, right? Then Jesus finally says this as the caveat, as the, the cream on top of a cake that may be a little bit displeasant, uh, unpleasant to taste. He says, for if anyone desires to keep his life, he will lose it. But if you give your life for me and for my gospel, you will find life. Have you tasted life? I don't know if I'm super consistent in it, but I've tasted it. And you know what? It is bitter. And usually it doesn't revolve me being God. So what does that mean for you? Finally, it says, refuse, I wrote this down, refuse to be tricked. What comes next is the most important thing. My relationship with God is not my, it is my relationship with God is my bay relationship. What is bay? For years they had that bay. Before all else, Jesus needs to be my bay relationship. If he is not my bay relationship, I am living directionless, purposeless, chasing after a wind, and living an empty life. You can even look successful in the church. 
that's a killer. That's a killer. Okay, let's look at the next thing. He takes him to the roof. What does he do? He takes him to the roof and he says, go on, jump off. What is Lucifer saying? Lucifer takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. He goes, in a sense, my belief is he's saying, I know why you've come. You know why you've come. You've come to be their king. I know these people that you love them. We both know that this is the only way that they will accept you. You know what Satan wasn't doing there? He wasn't lying. He's like, I know their heart. You think they're going to love you for what you came to do? I'm telling you, they're going to stab you to death to shut your mouth. If you float, give them what they want, they'll embrace you. You'll be their king. And he said, don't do this. Don't be foolish. Don't do this. He misuses Psalm 90. That's why you've got to be careful with the scripture. You know why? That's why it, it's good to read it alone, but it's also good to read it with others. It's good to pay attention. Everyone says, oh, I have a new revelation from God. I'm not going to argue it, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. Maybe God's speaking to you in a unique and a very fresh way, but it ain't new. It's just, it, man, he's just revealing stuff. He misuses Psalm 90. Did Satan do that by accident? I don't think so. I think Satan has limits. He's not God. He likes to portray himself as God, but he's not. I think he misunderstood the scripture, and he thought that God was intending for Jesus to jump down and then the, the angels would have come and rescued Jesus. Would that have happened? Absolutely that would have happened. You think that he would have fell to his death? Those angels would have tripped over themselves to rescue him. You ever read Hebrews? You know what it says there? That they lay at his feet. Step on my back. Step on my back. Don't, don't let your feet touch the ground. Use me. Man, if I could be anything, let me be the mat he walks on. No, 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 no. I got I to gotta be in this position. I got to do this thing. This is my gifting. This is my calling. My calling is to be a mat. And when he's done with this mat, he'll go like this, and he'll use another one. That's when I find freedom. That's when we find freedom. Phew. Crazy, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. All right, let's look at this last thing. Satan finally tells um, Jesus, takes him to the highest point. Remember, he takes him to this place, and this is the biggest. So wait, wait, let's, let's, I didn't give you the, the proper uh, application for number two. What was, the, what was the temptation for you and me? It's simple. To use God to be God. I'll do so that I get. Let me direct you. God's like, no. I saved you so that I could be who I, I am. That's what he said, I think, in a way. There's a lot of theological implications of I am. But they're like, hey, Moses goes, they're going to ask who you are. And he goes, I'll tell you to tell them who I am. He goes, tell them I am. Well, what the heck does that mean? I think this is what it means. Because you have breath in your lungs, because I am the one who gave it to you. You got feet, I'm the one who gave it to you. 
You have understanding. Yeah, it's mine. I gave it to you. You've got days. Yes, I'm the giver of it. It's mine. I'm the one. Remember that. And when it comes back to me that I've given you, you're going to find that this is a blessing that no one else could have ever given you. But when you try to wrestle it from my hand, you, when you want to use it for your purposes, trust me, it'll be a curse. It will be a curse. Don't fight him. Let God be God. During this 21 days, say, God, I want you to be God. Do what you want. Do what you want. Conquer my flesh. Take me to the end of myself. And yes, he will. It won't all be at once, but yes, he will. All right, let's look at the last part. Finally, Lucifer takes Jesus to the highest point in the mountain. He says this. I'll give you all that and all the glory. Isn't he overstepping his bounds? No, he isn't. Just like in Job. I've been walking to and from, you know, Lord. <laughs> I've been looking around. They look more like me than they look like you. Isn't that crazy? It's just crazy. And then Jesus said this. He said, have you considered my guy Job? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I consider Job. I know why he worships you. Because you made him rich. There's a profit motive there. You take all his stuff away, he'll curse you to your face. What he didn't know, what Satan didn't want to know, was that everyone was made for their purpose. And Job was made to glorify God by God allowing Satan to take everything away from Job and then standing firm because God is making him stand firm. Man, I think the best verse in all of the Bible is at the end with Job standing there before God. He's like, I demand answers. I've given. I've been faithful. Where were you? Why did you allow this? Maybe not with that kind of verb. And God said, okay, I'll answer your questions. Just answer mine. I got a couple questions. If you can answer one of them, I'll answer everything you have for me. And then he says, were you there when I created it all? Were you there when I set all this in motion? Were you there when I meant the mountains? Or I said to the oceans, you could only go this far or that far. Were you there? Did I, did I ask you for counsel when I was trying to figure out right from wrong? He asked him all these questions. And then what is Job's response? He's like, man, I came and I demanded answers and I didn't get them. I heard you and I heard of you. But now you want to wait to praise him when things line up the way you want it. Well, if my husband would only do this, if my wife would only do that, if I only had this job, or if I only had that, or I only had that. Listen, sit in his presence and give him praise. Why? Because he gave us his son, his one and only son, and if we believe in him, trust in him, cling to him, rely to him, we have eternal life. I can live in his presence whether I got pizza to comfort me or nothing to comfort me. That can't be taken, can't be taken. So what was Satan doing? He was saying this, I'll concede to you all that I have and all you've come to take back if you just give me, listen, one moment of worship. Corporate America, city of Chicago, whatever your corporation, give me your time, Give me the best of what you have to offer, and I'll give you security. I'll give you a nice place to live. I'll give you
give you money that will keep you secure from all the problems out there. Your kids will be able to get a nice school, and then they'll be able to get good jobs, and then they can go and work for someone just like me so they could be enslaved just like me. You, you know, nobody ever tells you this from the, from the pulpit. You want to follow Christ? Read this Sermon on the Mount. Your livelihood will take a backseat to a certain extent. Like, I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. Okay. God will work with it. I, I'm not, I don't, listen, I, it's not between, it's between you and him, not me and you, right? What did they want from me today? Can you be in at 6 o'clock this morning? Can you be in for the frostbite? Man, 16 hours, another big 16-hour payoff. And you know what? I know what he's after. He's going to keep doing it so often until I finally go, I don't care anymore. You have no power over me. That's what God wants. He wants real freedom for Tompkins Smith, who's been a slave his whole life. And I don't know. I'm starting to taste, especially in these times of fasting, I really want that. I want that time where there's no more struggles. Amen? Amen? All right, let's keep looking at this last part, and we've got just maybe two more seconds. Okay, what is it? Uh, I, I want to just say this. There was one thing that I used to read all the time in, in AA when I would go there, and it was called How It Works. And it, for some reason, it always come to me to read it. And it would say this. We looked for an easier and softer way to reach our goals, but they achieved us nothing. That's what I want. See, I want to make a deal with God. That's what Satan was saying to Jesus. I know why you came. You know why you came. Why do you have to do that? Why can't you just win? I just want one moment. Give me one tiny bit of satisfaction. You know who wrote that song by the Rolling Stones? Satan himself. I can't get no satisfaction. I'm telling you, I know that that group, and I listen to that group, they are led by Satan. You're crazy. Okay. I'm just saying. He gets no satisfaction. He just wanted one tiny drop of it. That's what he wants from you. He's like, you can follow Jesus? Come on. I don't care. Go serve. Be here. Be whatever you want. Elder, preacher, this, that. It don't matter. This is what I think God wants. I cannot look for an easier, softer method to reach my goal because it achieves me nothing. There can be no compromise with my broken flesh. You and me have to die. It's not going to happen all at once, and it is a long process. But I have to fight it. You don't have to be theologian figure out how to do that okay here's another one i must be at spiritual war with my fading humanity i have to remind myself everything that you think you need is bound for the trash heap it's bound to be burnt well i need maybe maybe it's to be used and not kept okay here's another one i cannot divide my worship I have to constantly remind myself I do not live primarily for myself. I have to be, as Christ said, meek in spirit. What does that mean? That means I have to be willing to be bridled. You know what that is in a real 
practical things, that's Jesus saving us, calming us down, most powerful, beautiful things. And God holds power and he's like, I'm going to put this on your back and then I'm going to hook you up to this cart and you're going to pull this load for me. I was watching a movie last night. It was called Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I love that movie. It's great. And I'm like, what a great way to live. Let me just go out and enjoy the beautiful things of the world. Let me see things and enjoy the and that verse comes to mind when he said, that ends in me. What I've called you to do is to be a participant in bringing what I want to the world. For me to be a man, don't give up your rights. You ever hear that in a while? you got to be a man. Truth comes from inside. Truth comes from him. Do you know what he says? Do what I tell you. And you know what sometimes what right is? It's you allowing yourself to have less so that I can have more. Oh, I could go on, but I won't. It's preaching to me. It's preaching to me. It's preaching to you. This reminds me that I have to be willing to carry a load of responsibility, not just for myself and for my family, because that sounds pious, but for others. You too. And it's not a prepayment for future blessings, but it's a privilege as an inheritor of the earth. Colossians says this, Paul speaking in chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and for my flesh. And for in my flesh, listen, I am willing to take up what is lacking in the affliction for the sake of your body, that is the church. Jesus, Paul's saying, I'm willing to lose my future family, my people. I'm willing to teach you, to love you, to stay with you, not take a dime from you, and then I'm allowing you to throw stones at me and insult me and ridicule me, and I'm going to come back every time. You know why? Because God has loaded my back up with the responsibility of you. And I'm not going to say, well, I'm, I'm tired of this. I've done it enough, and you got to give your end too. No, that's what I do sometimes with my kids when they don't do the dishes. He's like, why did you give it all? You know what Paul said? He says it clearly this. If I'm out of my mind, it's for the love of Christ. It's for his love that's planted in me for you. So yeah, I'm crazy, but I'm crazy in love. <laughs> Crazy stuff, right? Okay. Let's, uh, come on up. We're going to stop there. What we're going to do is we're going to stand. I'm so, I'm, I, listen, I, I want to say this about the Word of God. The Word of God is never meant to beat us into the ground. It really isn't. You know what it really is meant to do? To expose stuff. So that I could say, you know what, God, I don't like looking at that. That makes me uncomfortable, and I don't know why. And then you bring it back, and you go, here it is. I don't know. Is it in me? Right? I don't know. And then you know what he says? Just keep your eyes on me. Don't ever forget why I was driven into the wilderness for you. And I'm going to win. I'm going to win in your life. Let me.
Let's take that bread and let's pray together. And this wafer, it represents being driven into the wilderness. You took on human flesh. My human flesh. The flesh you created. You allowed yourself to feel things, to be inflicted with things no self-respecting God would ever do. And you did it for a people who, like myself, sometimes are very, very fickle and inconsistent. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm sorry for those places and those times that I am fickle and inconsistent. And I want to develop a manner of living which confesses not only to myself, but to another brother or sister in Christ where I'm inconsistent. I'm willing, Lord God, for you to empower me to put me to death. Lord God, thank you for everything you do. that cup Jesus this is where we boldly proclaim we believe that this represents your blood the blood of the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world I heard it one time by a guy Don Carson who said when you commanded Israel to put that blood on the doorpost was the passing over of the angel of death based on the faith of the person? No. It was based on the person that we had faith in. Some people put it on and they got weak faith. Some people have strong faith. But no matter what, we're not saved by our faith. We're saved by Jesus. You won the victory. And I'm sticking to it. I'm clinging to that like it's the only thing that matters. And yes, am I a long way from where I need to be? Yeah. But I don't want to give up. I never want to give up. I never want to be complacent, compliant in myself. I never want to compromise. Lord, I want you to win the battle totally. So Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for shedding your blood on the cross to free us, free us from the complaints that are lodged against us so now we can live without condemnation, free to worship you in the place where only those who are welcomed in are allowed to go. Let's take it. Worthy of every song
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, say worthy, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Sing holy and holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Sing Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Come on, church, sing it out. In holy, there is no one like
Let's hold hands. Remember, we are united. Paul tells us, now what? You heard the gospel, so what? Now what? He says, be devoted to one, to one another.